0: Todd Howard Isekai.
1: Todd Todd Howard Isekai. <laughs> if Todd Howard gets Isekai into Skyrim,
0: Oh my god. T M T M T M T M T M T M T M T M. It's the best idea I've ever had.
1: we are gathered here today one final time for season one we, we well, this is not the last ever time but this is our final episode of season one it is a momentous occasion because we fucking did it we watched and talked about wheelie time without losing our minds
2: speak for yourself
1: <laughs> this is never mind the Troller. i am your host sarah and my final l for this season is going to be that I read the book Name of the Wind because I was on the TV trips for like a red-headed fantasy protagonist. After looking at Randall Thor, that's kind of how I ended up in that situation, but luckily I managed to escape again through podcasting. Um, We're not here today to talk about Name of the Wind, Like, fuck. Uh, <laughs> I am here with my wonderful co-hosts.
2: I would also like to point out, for anyone who isn't aware, the necessary context to understand Sarah's L is that Sarah is also a redheaded fantasy protagonist.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I got Issa Kaid into podcasting. Yeah, I was going to say, what world did you originally come from?
2: <laughs> Hello, I'm Tom. Uh, my Wheel of Time L for the week is that I touched the tainted male half of podcasting and have become corrupted forever.
3: I'm Nina and my Wheel of Time L this week is I've looked over these questions and even though I have read the entire series, most of the ones about stuff that's going to happen, I don't have an answer for because I don't remember. Mm.
0: And I'm Max and much like probably every other show I've ever watched like concurrently live and had to wait more than a couple hours for the next season, I will mm. forget 90% of this by the time season two rolls around.
1: Like, honestly, I've already kind of forgotten what happened in the first half. Like, I was gonna do some rewatches.
0: That's a lot to, that's like eight hours.
1: Yeah, in hindsight, I probably should have because it's like, I've kind of forgotten half of the things that happened in this series (laughs) because, like, the last time I watched episode one was, like, a month ago. An entire month. We're here to remember you. You know,
3: Hmm? we do have all those recaps I wrote that are in that Google Doc. Ooh. Ooh. Long ago, men of power tried to defeat darkness, evil itself, and when they failed... Chaos we open on an army encamped.
2: Campaign. Men dressed in long robes and cloaks of pristine white, emblazoned with golden suns.
3: How did Nynaeve they escape the
2: sister of the, the beast Ai. that dragged her away was in the, with the Ice
3: camp. A green Karini heals he Moraine's Trolloc-poisoned he wound, then takes her to see the false After dragon. After battle with Logain, and the, the rumors of his, his army, army of the south, friend and, and foe, and before the continuing the on their way. to Sanche, Emerlin's seat of the Ice was not born into power. In the shock turns to anger as the Young adventurers argue about math. Before Yustherin's the failed attack on the dead? Dark One, it's before safe, the breaking is. of the world, there is the Aes Sedai were men still and women. And women. The city and land travel to the two the rivers, where four Vehicles different people could fit the prophecy of the dragon reborn. Without her, their only choice it is, is to take refuge there.
2: behind the crumbling walls of that fell ruin.
3: To that end, Matt returns to the Gibbon The city is beautiful and desolate, but as a run-in There's with Tom Marilyn, who tells him about the dead man, man lynched for being growing, Aaron asks how they defend themselves and learns that the travelers follow the way of the leaf. They abjure violence. None Either among the channels, and he kills her, or she, she continues, continues to insist she cannot, and he kills Perrin. Meeting with My the head, head of her she aja, Moraine learns that there are concerns about the balance of power among the Aes Sedai, and that in every quarter there are strange the Two Rivers kids to see Min, a bartender hiding a terrible power. She is a seer. And she she admits that she has to balance the risks. Each time he channels, he will bring himself closer to madness.
2: But the swiftly her spreading shag carpet of doom separates them. The, the whole
3: cave rain. fills rain with white blood. light that washes out everything, and she heals all of them. Weaving the One Power, Moraine opens the gate. In Ones and Twos, the rest of them follow her inside until only Matt stands on the grassy plain. And the dragon reborn. The Dark One wants the dragon to break the wheel, to end humanity's suffering. Ran, Matt, and Boron Heron, he is a dragon dragon reborn. Reborn. It's clear that the armies of the Dark One will keep up their own search. The The village will never be safe as long as these young people stay. So they all set out together toward a future that is not at all what they had planned.
1: So, as we reflect on the the journey so far, the most important question that I have to ask, which was technically sent in by a listener, thank you, Zin is the show good
0: yes hmm all of my answers are going to be colored by notebook knowledge here so my answer is yes with a smiley face
3: <laughs> I would say yes I guess like I don't know I can mean so many different things when I say whether or not something is good like
1: mm.
3: you know we aired a lot of our problems with certain things about it but overall I had so much fun watching it I really enjoyed it I'm excited for the second season so on that level like yes it's good it was successful um in spite of the the issues that I had with it Mm -hmm. I feel like it's hard to say whether it's good in a broader sense Mm -hmm. when we know there are going to be more seasons and so we haven't actually seen the totality of the work. We don't know what else they're gonna do with it or how they're going to end it or any of the rest. Um, mm. You know, We think we have ideas because of the books, but we don't actually know. Yeah.
2: That's why I'm hesitant to say it's good as well. I mean, it's so obviously an incomplete work. Um, mm. If this was the end of it, period, full stop, they never made any more, I would say no. I I don't think it's good. Yes, I would agree. Like,
3: it's fine. It's okay. But... Mm -hmm. Mm.
1: It has reverse uh, Stardust Crusader's disease, by which I mean, for yous that don't Jojo, um, I think in general, when you watch the third season, it's a bit shit. It's kind of, like, a bit average. And then the final, like, two episodes are just, like, the best battle you've ever seen in your life. And then Uh you... Every time you think about *Stardust Crusaders*, your brain goes bing bing, "bing bing 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 bing." That was really good. That was really good. That was really good. Even though most of it is just like fine. Yeah. And I think <laughs> this has the opposite of that, where the first six episodes, I'm like, yes, and you know, even like they 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 still have their flaws, and but they are of such quality that I'm like, yes, yes, those are great. And then, unfortunately, just with the way that it finished, every time I think about it. I'm going to be thinking about the ending because it's it's the last thing you see and my brain is going to be going, uh So even though I would say my answer to the question is, yes, the show is good. It's never not going to be tinted by the fact that the last episode fucking sucks. Yeah,
0: that's also the problem with a show being based on what, like a 12 book series? The first mm-hmm. book can end when it was written in the ancient time of 1990 or whenever the <laughs> hell because it's like, you know, Robert Jordan didn't know that if there'd be more or not. The show ends knowing there's going to be more. So it's like so much of a thing. It's like, all right, see you next season that it it's hard for it to stand on its own. And it's like what Nina said, it's really hard to judge it without the totality of the work being in front of you.
3: Just thinking of Sarah's comment about the show being tainted by that last episode but when i think about prestige tv if i think about your mad men's your sopranos your uh breaking bads there was so much of it that it's sort mm. of remembered in its totality rather yeah. than for and people remember the best episodes But I think most of those shows have a bad episode or two, you know, here and there, and it Mm -hmm. just kind of gets forgotten in the mass of the whole thing. Mm. And in a a reverse kind of way, early Game of Thrones felt so spectacular. Mm. Uh, And then I feel like they squandered all of that goodwill by the time they got to the end of it. And now, like, who is re-watching Game of Thrones for fun? Like, nobody.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Yeah, not
1: for fun.
2: Except, I guess, I guess, in a sense, when you watch Wheel of Time, you're kind of <laughs> watching
1: Game of Thrones
2: <laughs> and Lord of the Rings. And, yeah, <laughs> um, it, it. Um, I feel
1: the spirit of Game of Thrones in this television show tonight. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, those weak final two episodes really speak to a. Um, I don't know. It's they're worrying because so much of what the show was good at. Was was um, laying groundwork, setting things up. Mm. And now when they actually try to pay it off, they kind of fall on their face. Mm-hmm. So I hope that this mm. is just a, an aberration. They'll come back in season two and they'll continue to set things up well and maybe they'll actually pay a few things off for us.
1: Yeah, yeah. And if
2: season two is fantastic, we really will forget how bad the ending of season one was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that little next episode button at the end of episode eight will make it sound.: Exactly.
2: Yes. Yeah. And um, you know, for, for new fans who come into it in future years, they're not going to feel the finality of episode eight. They're not going to feel that it's a climax. They're just going to roll yeah. straight into the next episode. There's right. no
1: finality in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, do we have any more like general thoughts about the TV show to get out before moving on just to listener questions? What a, okay listeners what i've done here is we got we got uh, a few emails i've sort of intermingled them and remixed them to provide a sort of platform for various discussion points um i have taken everything that you guys said in and kind of built the episode around that so do you want to move into it just yeah
2: Let's and maybe it. maybe by the end of it, we'll have discovered some more thoughts on whether or
0: not the show is good.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Maybe by the end, we'll all just be really in a fucking sour mood about it. Who knows?
1: <laughs> nah, I think we're going to have a good time. Um, so the first email that I'm going to read out is the sixth one we got, which was from Zane from Australia that I have put first because Zane sent us in like I loads and loads of things and I've kind of torn their email to pieces and threaded it through the rest of the mm-hmm. the, the emails.
0: Yeah, our, our questions doc is like a serial killer note.
1: <laughs> so, Zane's email says, Hi, Trollocs. First of all, I'd love to be addressed as Trollocs. Thank you, you keep it up. Um, never stop. <clears throat> Hi, Trollocs. I'm just going to give you a large list of questions. Feel free to use whatever ones. Love the podcast and look forward to the recap. Zane from Australia. Now, Zane has included some of Zane's hot takes. Um... First hot take, loads of the criticism towards the show by fans of the books fail to take into account that the show would be boring as hell if adapted page for page and that serious changes are needed to make the show even remotely watchable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, to to have an actual thing to say about this, people don't, it's like, yeah, you can make a 100% completely faithful adaptation. No one wants that like i think about the jojo's anime people think they want it like i think about the jojo's anime and that is like a nearly 100% faithful adaptation but so much is added to it like people want a tran- people want a transliteration they don't want an adaptation and then if you look at things like uh like the final fantasy VII remake or the end of evangelion movies it's just like those kinds of works can shine because of how they take what the base is and change it into a new way that makes it novel for people, you know, for people who are fans. Like, I feel like a lot of people don't realize, at least in my mind, at least it's like more valuable to be able to watch something and appreciate that it clearly knows it's talking to someone who's familiar with the source material, but still finds a way to, you know, chop and screw it and say, Hey, but you didn't think this would happen.
3: Yeah. It's like, you, yeah. you
0: don't want it to be boring.
3: I also wonder sometimes how much of that criticism comes from people who read the books a long time ago and haven't reread them, and mm. so have this very fond memory of the books, but mm. they don't actually remember all the borings, like their minds have elided <laughs> uh-huh. all of the vo- boring bits in between. And so. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And even aside from the like specifics of the boring bits, you know, often with remakes, with adaptations, people don't actually want an adaptation, they want to feel the way they felt 15 years ago when they were yeah. sitting in their bedroom and reading these books for the first time. They want nostalgia. And nothing is gonna make you feel that way again.
3: So yeah. like- <laughs> You cannot be 15 years younger, sorry.
2: If you want if you want to experience the books exactly the way you experienced them before, A, you can't, but B, just read the books again. Yeah. Like. Yeah. The books exist, they're not going anywhere. Anybody mm-hmm. could stop and read them whenever they wanted to. The point of an adaptation is to do something new.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Which sort of brings us to uh, Zian's hot take number two, which is the show is good. (laughs) Complete thumbs up, worth watching. Yeah,
0: to to me, Zane is the arbiter of good taste.
1: Thank you, Zane. Uh, Zane's third hot takes is, Perrin is a terrible character in the books, boring as hell, brackets, to me. At least in the show, I feel bad for him because a fridge wife still provides more character development than what he gets in the books. Now, this is a spicy take, because the first two were like, you know, kind of warm, but like in a a pleasant way. This is spicy and I enjoy it.
0: They eased us into it and then then turned the heat way, way, way up. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Uh, I will not go into the fourth hot take because it is a a spoiler, but let's just say that in the books, Perrin really needs to go to therapy.
2: Is there a character in the books who would not benefit from therapy?
1: Is there a character in any media who would not benefit from therapy? (laughs) Yeah, you know you've
0: written a good story where literally every one of your characters (laughs) needs to go to therapy.
1: Uh, I
0: always liked Perrin. I liked the Perrin storyline. Although saying
2: that, I am experiencing some of this book reader nostalgia where I can, if I really <laughs> think about it, remember all the parts of the Perrin storyline I did not like very much and all the bits that were very boring and all the parts where I was like, ooh, could you pick it up and get to the interesting parts, please? Uh-huh. More with the yeah. wolves. <laughs>
3: yeah. I was going to make a joke about I also liked Perrin and of course Tom did because he's the like kind of boring nice guy. Hey, and so of course hey, I liked him because hey. he's the kind of
1: boring nice guy. <laughs> these takes are too hot we gotta leave the hot takes <laughs> get Spicy. our fourth email from anonymous said hey i really like your podcast i'm a long time book reader and really liked the show adaptation even if bits of it were weird true said for your Q&A, I wanted to ask if you are surprised by the popularity of the show and the seeming book fan blowback or not and also, have you any? Have you guys any other plans to continue the pod? sans new episodes to discuss book things or any other meta commentary. Thank you for the pod. Really love it. A listener from the UK.
2: I think the fan blowback uh, was probably the most predictable thing that's happened in years.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I interject you there and read uh, another comment here because? Zane again said there is some discourse around the show by other comment hitters that is overwhelmingly negative about any and all changes that have taken place. Should these critiques be taken seriously or in bad faith since they seem to view every change as made as being bad faith and destroying the original material? Carry on.
2: I would say um, at this point there is a vast profitable and extremely well developed ecosystem of people whose entire job is to get mad about new media properties. So mm. one, the um the backlash was inevitable. Two, uh I would say anybody who takes that kind of hyperbolic tone is probably not operating in good faith.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also just that the uh if the complaint boils down to this is bad because it's different from the books, that's not uh, a take I'm interested in engaging with. I, I don't think it's an interesting or particularly valid critique of the work.
0: Yeah. yeah. Like, when people bring that up, I my biggest response is just to want to say, okay, how would you do it differently? Like, I don't want to be the kind of person who's just like, if you don't like X media, then make it yourself. Like, that's not really a valuable rebuttal to people who complain about media like that. But I, I guess I want to see if what it boils down to is like what Tom was talking about. Do you just want the show to make you feel like you're 15 reading the books again? It's a valid feeling to have, but like people, I feel like a lot of people complaining about things online in the year 2022, a lot of people are just like trying to remember what nostalgia feels like.
1: Mm-hmm. And I feel
0: like that can be really unproductive if you don't realize that it's your brain trying to like make you grasp at those chemicals, but you can't, they're gone. There's also an
2: enormous amount of media out there that is basically just, like, power fantasies for young men. Yeah. And Wheel of Time, the books, is kind of a power fantasy for young men. Yes. And Wheel of Time, the show, is not.
1: I think and yeah. that is kind of the, the separation that, like, I see the most. Because whenever I see... Um, people like people on Twitter. Actually, have you guys come across the term book cloaks on I Twitter? looked this up. I no. could not
0: find anything no. on what this term means. I can immediately okay.
2: imagine what it is. It's evocative. It's punchy. Yeah, it,
1: like, it's just people have started using the word book cloaks to describe people who hate the show and are are like, only the books are good. This shit sucks. Hate this adaptation. But and I think it's interesting because the, the term itself suggests that these people... Who only who want the adaptation to be more accurate to the books, so suggests that their values adhere to like those of the white cloaks, which kind of is interesting uh, because like whenever I have seen people complain about the adaptation, it's always been about like the gay shit in it. People complain the about the wrong diversity yeah. about basically that the TV show does not match up with the their like. More mm-hmm. conservative values, which then suggests that the books do line up with their more conservative values because it kind of is like a male power fantasy, right? And that, you know, there's a lot of things in the books that you could latch onto for the for bad reasons, basically. And mm-hmm. yeah, those are kind of the reasons that I see people latching onto when they're complaining about the TV show.
0: It's like part of me that's almost what makes part of me a little worried if or when I ever do get around to reading the books because just like I have the you know having seen the show first I have in my head this very concrete idea of what everything looks like what everyone looks like mm. and from and I we've, we've mentioned it before how the whole first book is like pretty much all just like Rand's perspective for the most part Mm-hmm. and it's it's just like that's not what I want the story to be like I want it to be how it's portrayed in the show where everyone kind of gets their own turn like mm-hmm. it's hard it's it's easier to go forward from the book to the show keeping an open mind about it than I guess it is from going from the show to the book because it kind of like closes itself off again
1: mm.
0: mm-hmm.
2: well so the the experience you're describing would be that it would feel like you were taking a step back. Um, but I think for the people who are complaining about the show, um, that's their feeling, like it's taking a step back from the like, white male heterosexual <laughs> power fantasy that they crave.
3: It's interesting to me to think about, because I've been a long time fantasy book lover. I've read tons of sci-fi and fantasy in my life. Uh, and as a woman, especially if you're reading older stuff, and reading stuff written by men, there's a lot of books you enjoy in spite of.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: (laughs) There's a lot of books you enjoy, even though there's a lot of like rampantly sexist stuff in them. And you take your wins where you can get them. (laughs) And that was definitely part of the feeling. Reading Wheel of Time was like, okay, some of the way these women are written is ridiculous. But also they're extremely powerful and active and affect the world around them. And they have their own
1: agency. And I'm going to just roll with that and try Mm -hmm. to ignore
0: (laughs) the other stuff.
1: I do definitely want to kind of assure Max that if you do go back and like delve into like the Wheel of Time books, like... I describe them as like sexist garbage, but like that's very hyperbolic. Like I, I, I love the books, <laughs> you know. There's so much in them. I don't think you should worry that much. Like they, okay. they will be a mirror onto yourself. And you, you're a wonderful person, and you'll be fine.
3: I wouldn't <laughs> say they were sexist garbage either. I enjoyed them a lot. They were a mm. ton of fun. We,
0: we would be doing the podcast if we didn't like the source material, right?
3: Yeah. 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 I do want to highlight a different part of the the listener question which I have no perception whatsoever of how popular or unpopular this show is. Yeah. I have no clue, no sense no at all when
0: everything is touted as the the biggest movie of the year and and netflix specifically what my what came to mind was like netflix's fucking was like red book or whatever that ryan reynolds gal gadot rock the Dwayne johnson movie they're like this is the biggest netflix launch and i was like i don't know a single fucking person who has seen this (laughs) i don't know if amazon does the same thing with how big popular they make their shows appear to be but like in my head i really have this idea of like Wheel of Time did fine numbers. It wasn't like the biggest thing ever, but like, I, I feel like the popularity of the show is like, yeah, it did fine.
1: So I think there's like, there's stats and there's numbers that I have come across with the, that's like, oh, Wheel of Time was like the most streamed thing for this month. Uh, I mean, like, Witcher was also the most streamed thing for, like, December or mid-December or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, that doesn't really mean anything. What that means is that Amazon poured a ton of money into marketing it. Like, when I... Like, I went to MCM London, like, in October or whatever, and, like, the only... Like, the Wheel of Time booth was, like, the biggest thing there. It was, like, the only booth that was dedicated to one single media property. Like, everything else is like, hi, I'm selling these titty anime figurines. And I'm like, nice. (laughs) But, like, Wheel of Time was the only thing that's like, this one show has one huge booth in the middle of it. And, like, you know, it's on every fucking bus. It's, like, advertised all the time. Like, I don't actually know if that... That means I'm not surprised by the popularity of the show. Yeah... It's really hard for for me at least
3: during COVID times because I'm so much more isolated. I'm so mm-hmm. much less exposed to other people. So I'm not having those conversations of, oh, are you watching Wheel of Time? Oh, what do you
1: think of it? da, 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 da. like. Yeah, there's no like Wheel of Time watch parties because you can't go to a bar. Mm-hmm. Right. Like,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, for a while, you go to the Prime Video, you know, main page and they show you the Wheel of Time banner. You see you see Rosamund Pike just chilling there. And then a month later it's like, oh, look, The Expanse Season 6 is out. So it's just, they're they're pushing it, they're pushing it, they're pushing it, until the next big thing comes out.
1: Yeah, it's like this week, it's like, oh, Critical Role was the most streamed thing, or sorry, The Legend of Vox Machina was the most streamed thing of this, like, release week. And I'm like, cool, good for it. That's, that's nice. Yeah. So was Wheel of Time. It's just the thing they push.
2: And I think Amazon really shot themselves in the foot by um, whatever their technology is that prevents people from taking screen caps of the episodes. Because like Game of Thrones, I I know we hate to come back to Game of Thrones (laughs) over and over again, but Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings got so much extended life out of people making memes out of them. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I, I probably spent more time <laughs> looking at Arrested Westeros, the mashup of <laughs> Game of Thrones characters with quotes from Arrested Development, than I spent actually watching the TV show.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. For what
0: it's worth, I think uh, that might have been a hardware acceleration issue on your end, because I was able to take screen caps of the show.
1: Damn.
0: The same oh. thing happened for a while with Crunchyroll on me. I couldn't take Yu- Yu-Gi-Oh screen caps until I turned hardware acceleration off, and then I was able to all of a sudden, so. Hmm. <laughs> But then again, you don't see anyone else making Wheel of Time memes. It's just like... I feel like we're at this uh, singularity of... There's a billion zeitgeist happening at once. And unless something just like skyrockets to like this absurd level of popularity, it's not really... We'll make Wheel of Time memes for ourselves and we'll make funny... We'll put quadriplegina sunglasses on a troll and put that as an emoji just for the four of us. But it's like... That's not happening to the internet at large.
1: Like, there's... The sort of media... The pace of media landscape is so fast and it like there's nothing good about not to start complaining about my job but like it just, everything happens so much everything happens so much from the
3: media perspective from the perspective of this whole industry it's so fragmented now and fragmented can be good but it means there's no unified public experience there's no mm-hmm. like we all watch the same three channels uh yeah and They're all competing for people's subscription dollars. And so they all feel like they have to have new stuff coming out all the time. Yep. And there's just so much volume. And I'm constantly hearing one friend or another or seeing something that's like oh that looks cool that looks interesting i don't have time to watch half or
1: a quarter of the things that look interesting to me yeah like Mm -hmm. every day i log into netflix and i'm like oh that looks cool i put it on my watch list for when i have time and then it's like several months later it's just gone because i've taken it off again and i'm like oh i've never had time to watch that yeah um it has been nice though actually um because one thing i had planned to do for this episode, but didn't. Very sad. Was like, there's a lot of like YouTube kind of. There's like a whole segment of YouTube that is like, it's such. It's a re- I react to this show and talk about it. Um, and like you know, it's been nice skimming through those videos and like dipping into them and just because they're a really handy way of being like, oh, this is a non-reader. Like, what's their initial reaction? Like every single one that I've dipped into has been very positive, and like everyone's been having a great time. Um, just like general nerds, see a new show and watch it and like it. And that's that's just been nice. Um, though to be fair, didn't watch any of those for the last two episodes. Yeah.
2: Well, and it's um, b- because of the way the like algorithms are set up. There's no way to know if what you're seeing is a representative sample or if you have been pigeonholed into the you know reaction videos from people who like Wheel of Time subcategory.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I will say I did go, I did like go and search them out of a week um and, but yeah like the algorithm um there's one other part of this uh listener question that i wanted to address which is hmm. the do you guys have any plans to continue the pod sans new episodes discussing book things or other meta commentary i mean i would say no no <laughs> yeah, I, 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 <laughs> like, I like, like
2: talking like... to all of you but uh we all have other podcasts yeah yeah, yeah. Um, we're all neglecting our other podcast children uh-huh. to be here.
1: We we're literally, our other children are going starving and unfed <laughs> because we're doing this yeah. instead.
0: Like we'll we'll be back. It's this is a fun thing to do for like you know two months every like year or year and a half or so. But
3: however often they release a new season,
0: yeah, who knows?
2: Originally, seasons were coming out once a year, then twice a year. Now we're expecting two <laughs> seasons per month. Soon <laughs> we'll God. get. Soon we'll get a double drop
1: oh boy yeah the movie industry is gonna like figure out a way to make everyone work 36 hours per 24 hour day I don't know how they'll do it but mm-hmm. they will
0: productivity's never been higher
1: uh, um the okay but the other reason that I have no plans to discuss the wheel of time books is because uh I'm a big fan of everybody hates rand and I could personally not do what they do that's that's a them thing I would never do mm-hmm. this thing
0: we don't want to step on toes I say making a Gundam podcast with two other (laughs) people to make a Gundam podcast.
1: (laughs) We respect everybody hates Rod's toes. Tommy, we also respect your toes as well.
0: We're not the only one related to Wheel of Time who respects toes. (laughs) Damn it, it, Max. (laughs) It's burned into my mind
1: um (laughs) hi i've got a i've got a next sort of discussion topic to bring up if we're finished talking about uh meta fan stuff yes
0: let's let's get it let's get a bit more serious
1: um this yeah so this is actually a question from uh host of the show sarah but costumes hi a long time first time emailer uh this is something i wrote down in when we were discussing like episode two or three um because we started talking about colorism uh, and I wrote down to something to come back to after we had seen everything, um, because if you remember, we talked about how, as of episode two, the like two, or three, however many like evilist characters had also had the darkest skin tone. Um, so how do we feel that kind of played out over the course of the show? Um, I did also write down to talk about like sort of fantasy racism and how the show ended up portraying if there was any like prejudice against certain cultural groups given that the cultural groups were very diverse and how they kind of made up new fantasy racism if they did. So those are two discussion things that I wrote down to come back to.
0: I feel like we can all agree that like It is generally good for shows to have more diverse races and skin tones and everything. The big Wheel of Time problem here is that all, like, many of the biggest villains were people of color. And, like, that's an issue. And it doesn't feel like they're trying to flip the issue on the head, having, like, the biggest group of people that are subjected to racism all be white people. Like, this isn't a Steven Universe Pearl Hates the Irish situation. (laughs) But, like... It's just hard, right? It's hard to write a story that deals with racism because you don't want it to be a direct analog to real-world racism. But at the same time, it would almost feel disingenuous to just straight up not deal with this at all in a story that has all of these other social issues it tries to tackle. Mm. (laughs) My my final answer is it's tough.
3: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) My overall feeling by the time we got to the end of the season was that and this is just a gut sense, right? But that it's not a colorism issue because we have, mm-hmm. you know, the dark one, or is he? Um, who's lighter? We have Leandrin. We have uh, a number of other villainous characters who are not very dark. And both of those actors in those roles, Pattenfain and what's his name, the White Cloak, Rev. Valda. are are so good in those roles. Like, it It doesn't feel like they went out of their way to cast a black actor yeah. who wasn't even a good fit for the role. It feels like they found some actors who were great for these roles yeah. and happened to be quite dark. And again, like, I'm not black. <laughs> I can't speak to how that looks or feels from that perspective. But uh, with everything else in the show, My gut feeling is that there's enough variety in the skins of the villains that uh, it's not a colorism issue in that respect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like the feeling I'm left with at the end of the show is that they cast the best actors for that role. It just in general, they don't really stick out to me at this point. But again, like I'm not black, like I don't know what it feels like from that perspective.
2: As far as the whole fantasy racism thing, they kind of teased that it was going to be an issue, and us book readers all know that it is potentially a big issue, mm-hmm. but they didn't really do anything with it. Yeah. So we don't know yet how they're going to handle that. Um,
1: yeah, because the because the fantasy racism, ra- racism well, fantasy the fantasy racism was to do with the Aiel. We only saw two Aiel; they were both white. Yes. Yes. Yeah, the dead guy and then uh, Tigrin. So yeah, we don't really know. Sorry, to interrupted. I just wanted to throw that in there.
2: And then the other half of this is that this whole discussion has to sort of take place in the shadow of the depiction of the Shanchen at the end of uh, the last episode. Yeah. Which really, um, hmm, raises a... I mean, we talked about this extensively, but like, mm-hmm. not good signs what they're doing there. Um, yeah.
1: Um because yeah actually shout out to again another thing that Zian said which was that Wheel of Time has several cultures treated as exoticized uh, like others like the Aiel the Sharans, the Shanshan um, and then Zian asks how can these be portrayed in a way that is not offensive that is a very large question Zian that sort of doesn't really have an answer yeah, um,
0: yeah unfortunately, cut the entire last like, scene of episode 8
2: <laughs> yeah the, the whole how do you how do you portray an exoticized culture in a way that's not offensive is just like the big question hanging over fantasy at the moment. Yeah, really. Um, I, I was going to say, in addition to the sort of colorism aspect, I was really concerned that what we were going to get was a, uh, a leveraging of the scary black man trope for mm. these two black men who are very scary. Um, and I don't think they did.
1: Yeah, they were they were like very nuanced characters in the way that they were villainous
2: it didn't feel to me like there was ever a moment where their blackness was made a thing to be afraid of. Mm. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah, because the, the the villainizing basically like the bad stuff in the show a lot of the time came from institutional power with you know, the white cloaks, dark friends, even the white tire and the way the white tire sucks sometimes. It was all like You know, the people who are villainous was like, it's because they're associated with this faction.
3: So related to fantasy racism and the handling of it, I just had this realization that the sort of indications we get of it in the show are mostly secondhand. There's the Aiel who's been killed in Mm -hmm. that mining town. We don't see him attacked and killed. We see him already dead and left in a gibbet. Mm Mm-hmm. The Tuatha'an talk about all of the prejudice against them. Oh, we're the ones who steal your children. We're the ones who, you know, X, Y, and Z. But we don't see anybody attack them for being Tuatha'an. Even when the White Cloaks attack them is because they're refusing to (laughs) hand over.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, And I don't know if that is an extension of the ethos that the show has had about violence against women because we noted, like the way violence against women is handled in the show is very different than in a lot of other fantasy properties that, like, that scene where uh, Egwene is stripped down and, like, scrubbed and everything is not, um, it's not, like, made titillating. It's yeah. not... <laughs> um, it's
1: very traumatizing.
3: Right. But it's also, like, they don't show everything. Mm-hmm. They don't make it explicit in like a naked bodies kind of way. Mm. With the racism stuff, I'm not sure then how they're going to handle it going forward because they can't just sort of make oblique references to it forever.
1: Yeah. Basically, all our point of view characters, you know, new to the world and inexperienced as they may be from this isolated background village, they're not not racist. (laughs) So they're not like, you know, we're not following anyone who you know has these like preconceived views about these certain groups of people because they don't really know anything about the world um you know the way that all the characters have interacted with these cultures has just been like oh, there's just uh, just learning about them um so and that's kind of why that the introduction of the Shanshin is so concerning because they're explicitly this exoticized othered faction who are like the villains you know according to the like 30 second clip at the end of season one can i ask did anyone read my dissertation (laughs) that i posted in the chat in the in the thing i remember Um, i read it back when you first sent it to me
0: however long ago
1: basically i wrote fuck what was it called it's been a long time (laughs) since i wrote this okay yeah i wrote it the title of the this is my master's dissertation and it's titled approaches to designing fantasy worlds um and i i looked at like star wars avatar um some other stuff and just like looked at how they'd approached their design and basically that the sort of conclusions that i came to were that you know to design something that feels like another world you need to pull from something that is other to your audience which is either going to be looking through history or kind of looking at other cultures um there was like a bit about how george lucas made star wars because of his experience of watching kurosawa films and his experience of watching kurosawa films was i don't know what the fuck is going on in like the world of this movie so i want to recreate that for my audience just because george lucas didn't know about like historical japan
0: wow cool ronin
1: wow cool (laughs) um so yeah star wars is the wow cool ronin but like the conclusion that i came to was that you need to show your audience things that they have never seen before in order to make them feel that sense of like oh i don't know what's going on here that sense of like displacement Mm -hmm. which is always kind of going to involve like cultural appropriation basically or cultural inspiration to put it nicely Um, and in order to do that you need to do so much research and the final scene of season one of wheel of time has the feeling of absolutely no research at all because they didn't feel like they had time for it and that's kind of the problem that i'm seeing is to, to, to portray exoticized cultures in a way that is not offensive, you gotta do so much fucking research. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. And you can't do that when you have to just crank out the seasons nonstop.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, and um, what you were saying sort of touches on this, but like, who is your audience is the big question here. Yeah. Because when you're presenting something that is alien to your audience, how you define your audience defines what becomes alien. Yeah. And so anybody who is familiar with the thing that is supposed to be alien will in turn be alienated from your audience and excluded from it. Yeah. If hypothetically you're creating a fantasy world and you're like, "Oh, the like the the totally weird exotic alien other will dress in like normal Chinese clothing." <laughs> you're yeah. going to alienate every single person who Finds normal Chinese clothing to be
1: yeah. familiar. Normal, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. which again comes back to like Amazon and them wanting to do this show to be like the biggest show on the planet for the month of December 2021. Anyway, Amazon's a worldwide platform; like people in every single country in the world could watch this and. Mm-hmm must be pretty, you know, just picture this, you're in New Zealand, you're a Aotearoan citizen, you're Maori, your family members have like moko tattoos, and then the final scene of Wheel of Time, and you gotta look at that. And that fucking sucks.
2: And, you know, as you said with research, like history is long and very weird. People have worn all kinds of shit. You can dig deep into the history and find stuff, and no one is going to be particularly mussed when you
3: borrow Mm it. Yeah. Also, there there are so many like European cultural evil empires. Like, pick any one of those. Yeah. (laughs) What if the white
0: people were the bad guys?
3: (laughs) Oh shit! Oh my god! Whoa! That's but
2: like that's the other thing, right? Like when you you have to be aware of the cultural context of these things because like specificity matters a lot. Like, there are certain groups of people who historically have traveled across the sea and conquered the nations that they found there. Yeah. And, like, pretending that that wasn't the case is just whitewashing (laughs) history. Like, there are historical costumes that we associate with imperialism.
1: And Mm -hmm. it's not like there's so many different, like instances of sailing across the sea and doing imperialism like there's instances in, mm-hmm. in europe instance of it in the far east like there's enough like source material that corresponds to that to draw on like
3: and there's even source material for cultures that were multiracial like if you look at the spanish empire in latin america mm. if you look at uh the roman empire like a lot of that was multiracial and so the the multiracial nature of the story doesn't even conflict with that in any way. Not that it matters; it's a
1: fantasy, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's hmm. honestly like I just uh, to complain about work again. Like, just if you slow down the rate of production, if you give people more time to think about what they're doing, we don't end up with shit like this. Yeah.
0: To, you need to be able to take time to do your due diligence.
1: I'm still really hoping that it,
3: when it comes down to it in season two, it will look different. Oh my yeah.
1: God, do I pray.
0: We're going to be right.
3: Please.
0: They're going to come off the boat wearing tank tops and basketball shorts.
3: <laughs> <laughs> With togas.
1: <laughs> tank togas.
2: I'm holding <laughs> out for jobbers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um... Okay. Uh, Are we sort of... Well, we'll never be finished talking about this, but are we exhausted (laughs) (laughs) on it for now?
0: For season one,
1: yeah. Yeah, for season one. (laughs) Um, As always, the answer is support your local film union. (laughs) So (laughs) the uh, fifth email we got, which uh, I guess is technically from Anonymous since they did not sign a name off, says... Hi. I do have just one small note on the last episode. They do talk about how it is possible to burn out from too much one power use. Uh, when Maureen tells the story of Manetherin in episode two, she says at the end of the story, the Queen took on more of the one power than any woman could and burnt herself from the inside out. Not the most striking way to introduce it, considering it is quite important, but it is there. So
2: point Point conceded.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do think that we... Probably took that harshly because not only was there that, there was the bit with Leandrin. Um, mm-hmm. It may have been mentioned to Egwene at some point. Like it, yeah. It was probably decently set up. Yeah,
0: there's just so much else to talk. We were about. we
2: were just venting our spleen about that whole scene, and uh, some of the some of that spleen landed uh, somewhere it didn't belong.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't, don't 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 vent your don't vent your spleen willy nilly, listeners. Mm-mm. Um. The email continues. Overall, as a non-book reader, I massively agree that the last two episodes were showing some massive cracks in the writing, but I did quite like the last one. If taken scene to scene, brackets, except the fight by the wall, that was just bad. Completely agree. <laughs> but the complete lack of setup means a lot of things that could have paid off really didn't. Great work with the discussion. Loved your breakdown and contextualization, even on the spoiler zone side. Cheers. Ah. Thank you very Thank much, Alan.
2: I think it's... I, I think it's fair to say that the last episode works scene to scene. Yeah. It really does. It's just that there are a lot of scenes that would be necessary to make the episode work as a whole that simply mm. aren't present.
1: It's, again, yeah. like, the show, I think, has an issue with setup and payoff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it doesn't really, like, it sets things up, it cooks them, but never really serves us a meal.
0: Yeah, it yeah. should have been nine or ten episode season.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: good scenes, should have been more of them.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, I will move on to the first email we got, which was from Galen, who says, Just listened to episode six, and I had a wonderful time. Wanted to give a shout-out to all two of the queer males in Wheel of Time. One is a queer-coded kandori lord hanging out with the Borderland rulers who's very camp, and the second is a gay Asherman, Brandon Sanderson, wrote to be gay and do nothing else. Um... <laughs> we also got a question uh, one of the questions from Zane, which said, do you think that the show has managed to get rid of most of Robert Jordan's weird gender stuff such as spanking, arms folded under breasts smoothing of skirts, weird female nudity and do you think it will surface later Um, so I think these two emails kind of link together to Uh queerness gender shit in the TV series like how did we think they handled that
0: um Yes and no.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the answer for
0: everything about this show, isn't it?
2: Uh, let, let's be a, little, be, a, be a little wishy-washy about this. In a lot of ways, it is hugely improved. Um, a lot of the improvements just come from the transition in medium. Like, mm. when the book says so-and-so crossed their arms underneath their breasts or whatever, like, that's weird. Yeah, But in the show, people just cross their arms and it feels organic and natural and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I think it was improved a lot. Um, in a weird way, making the characters fuck, like making <laughs> the characters more horny, that makes the show less
1: horny. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love
0: that. Yeah. It's like you don't see anyone, you know, their eyes popping out, and you don't hear a fucking foghorn go off when they think about Booba, like
1: yeah, no one's going to Awuga. Anime, anime yeah, nose exactly. bleeds.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, but the no part of this is that like the gender binary lies at the very heart of this story. Like, mm-hmm. it is a story about how women have one kind of power and men have the other kind yep. of power and neither the twain shall meet and those are the two categories of person. Mm-hmm.
3: However, mm-hmm. so this is my big worry about the story too, is are they going to address that binary in any way? But most of our characters come from pretty closely related cultures so far mm. with, with a couple of exceptions. And so... It would be pretty simple, probably, to introduce some other more distant culture where, and maybe because they don't conceive of gender as a binary, the power that people access when they use magic is not that, like, bifurcated power, mm. that the way people access magic is culturally determined, so if a particular culture treats gender a certain way, that sort of gets embodied in how they access magic.
1: Mm.
2: And there could be a hint of that in the discussion about using like hand gestures to use the source that like people think this is how it has to be done. right? But actually, but that would require some deep metaphysical changes to the way the world of the books works.
1: Yeah, it it, like it's the sort of relative queerness of the show is possibly, it's like my favorite thing about it. I will say, like, it is really, really good to see not just, like, gay characters in media, but, like, gay characters in media whose, like, gayness is, like, actually kind of, like, relevant to the plot, but not in the sort of bury your gays type of way. It, it's, right. well, like, it's really, well, you know, like, it's not just like, oh, we've, we've put some gay characters in here because our diversity thingy says that we have to so like they're just there but like that's part of their character but like their actual role in the story is something completely different it's been really nice to hear especially not just with this one and Maureen stuff but with the like the uh the warder like thruple yeah when they're they're making yeah. just all these like just fun little jokes about like oh, you're to join our thruple and then like the your man like dies at the end and it's like really tragic because like this was his hope and like just little things where it's like relevant um I think particularly shine in how this show addresses like lgbtq stuff and i'm giving mm. it a very big thumbs up yeah
2: come back to me on the question of uh gender binary magic when we get to the spoiler zone because i have some concerns
1: because mm. gen the, ge- the gender binary is like a load-bearing part of robert jordan's world yes and like it's again just as like the show's queerness is the thing i like the most about it the binariness of gender in robert jordan's books is the thing i hate the most about wheel world mm-hmm. um i would like to see it removed and i certainly having been in like the gay little tumblr fandom for wheel of time a lot of what we did day-to-day activities was like come up with like head cannons and ways to remove the gender binary from robert jordan's world like shout out mm-hmm. to all my trans wheel of time fan friends um but like i don't know how possible it is like it's concerning um yeah i feel like trans
3: trans people are almost easier to deal with in the story as long as they're like explicitly trans men or trans women and not like non-binary or gender or something like that because then it's just like well, what is your gender okay that's the magic you use done like we don't care about your body parts like, yeah
2: yeah yeah
3: <laughs> yeah it's yeah it's all of the everything outside of those two options that makes things complicated
1: yeah it's just it's the fact that this sh- nowhere in the show have they apart from in that one like x-ray segment like nowhere in the actual show have they come out and said men use this pyre, women use a different pyre. Like, it's sort of implied?
2: No, they definitely say that. They say, say the,
3: that. The, male, the male half of the source is poisoned. They say that explicitly, don't yeah. they?
0: Yeah. They don't, they don't, that's all they say. They don't they th- explain, like, how, or, like, they, they don't say the words, what, like, sidar and sidene, I think they're called.
1: No, because I remember.
0: Was this in, like, the, 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 the world building intro thing that I tried to find that I couldn't?
1: So, the world, the world there was a world building intro that talked about Cydara and Sidine But I was under the impression that every time, like whenever Rand asks Moiraine, like, why can't you teach me to channel? She says like, oh, because every time you touch the source, you'll go mad. She doesn't say anything to do with the fact that it's impossible for a man or a woman to teach a man a channel because they do it completely different because gender is completely binary. Like the mm. fact that she mm. doesn't say that mm. mm-hmm. gives me, I guess, hope. I could have yeah. sworn there
2: was at least one point where somebody says that, like, women can't see men's weaves or vice versa.
1: Yeah, but actually, yeah. I mean,
3: I think at the, in the final battle, that comes up.
1: Mm. Mm. Or possibly earlier, but it, 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 it my, I may have come up in episode four, the Logan one. They may yeah. have mentioned it there. I sort of remember mm. something to do with that.
2: And definitely when she pulls out the um the Grail she says like thousands of male, male. channelers yeah. poured their power into this.
1: Yes. Yeah she does.
0: This is magic for dudes.
2: <laughs> sold sold in the supermarket in a black bottle.
1: Yeah.
0: Here you go, Rand. Have some mandals while you're the at
2: Sa'angreel it. The song angre is the songreel is black, isn't it? It is. That's that's like Magic for dudes, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's called magic. It smells like bacon and grease and metal and motor oil.
2: We don't have cars, but we've got motor oil. Yeah.
3: It smells like campfires and horses.
2: Everything <laughs> smells like campfires and horses, Nina. It's a medieval
0: world.
3: God. <laughs> oh.
0: Maybe basing an entire <laughs> core pivotal part of your story on a gender binary wasn't a good idea in the first place. Robert. Robert. Uh, Brandon. It's your fault too now.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, Brandon was working with what he had. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: And what he had were some beautiful feet. <laughs> <laughs> Mention it one more time. Give me a hat trick,
2: Sarah. I I move to have Max removed from the podcast
0: <laughs> effective immediately. I'm gonna get recast in season Cut two his of, of, of
2: Never Mind the Trollocs. You'll be replaced by Brandon Sanderson's feet.
1: <laughs> okay, so
3: back to the subject at hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, what uh, the fuck are we talking about?
3: Uh, one of the things that gives me hope is they've been pretty conscientious with the adaptation so far. And so they have to know that this is an issue, right? Yeah, like, yeah. they can't be unaware <laughs> that thingy, uh, like, omnipresent gender binary part of the story was going to be an issue for how they're adapting it. So uh, one hopes that they came up with a few ideas about how to handle that before they began.
1: Yeah, yeah like i would definitely be curious as to whether because like for instance like and i don't think this is like a major spoiler it's i guess technically a spoiler that like Min in the books whenever she is introduced everyone's like oh you're wearing oh this is a girl who's wearing men's clothing what this is so wild and fantastic like part of her character trait is that she just likes wearing boys clothing And like that is something that wouldn't work in the show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That would just be kind of normal and regular and not that out of place because the clothing is very diverse and it's a lot less Mm -hmm. binary. It's not every single woman ever is wearing skirts. Like no, fucking Maureen's wearing wearing trousers. Um, And many
2: of the women are wearing trousers under their skirts. But the thing about Min is that her clothing all smells like bacon and motor oil. (laughs)
0: yeah
1: (laughs) okay so it's whenever amazon releases the smell of vision cut that will really yeah exactly they're gonna mail you
0: a little scratch and sniff card at this minute mark
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah every time a woman channels you have to smell like roses and lavender and sugar and spice and everything nice sweet pea um
0: that's my favorite smell that's why i I said it sweet pea how
1: dare you adhere to the wheel of time gender binary max (laughs) Yeah, like, they've already done so much to, like, remove it. Um,
2: but as you said, it's load-bearing, so, like, really they're they're chipping away at those walls and they're about to get to those pillars.
1: Because, again, like, there, I, I can think of more reasons why they can't just remove that pillar, but it's all kind of more major spoiler mm-hmm. stuff that we could get to later. Um, so I'm sure we'll come back to it.
2: Obviously, removing it is going to make a lot of people unhappy. Yeah. To which I say...
0: It'll make the right kind of people
1: yeah. unhappy. <laughs> I, to
0: which I say, cope and seethe. Yeah, cope fuck around, find out. and
1: seethe. Oh, excellent stuff. Me, in the meantime, before we get to the spoiler zone, I would like to read our third email, which is from Kirby the Cleric, who says, Hello, this is Kirby the Cleric. You may remember me from such films as Social Media, People Do Be People. Yeah, that's right. My uncle works at Nintendo. And Apuncalypse, The Pun Reckoning. Uh, anyway, thank you for the podcast. Been enjoying the season one coverage. I have a couple of questions for the first season. First question deals with Leandrin. Do you think Leandrin successfully avoided being punished for her extrajudicial gentling of Loghain? The sisters came back to the Tyre and Leandrin was in charge of the mishandling of Loghain, and yet when sentencing came down to chastise her, she deflected the, the attention to Maureen. Um which we then see her get punished quite publicly by the Amerlin yet they never mentioned Leandrin's misbehaviour again and um, we never see her hear that I noticed what ramifications happen. Did she just successfully bluff the Amerlin by throwing Moirin under the bus? Do you think she got punished off screen?
0: I think this is gonna be, and I have some predictions for season two later, but I feel like this could very well be a season two plot point, Yeah, because it's important enough that Leandrin brought a false dragon and did some extrajudicial shit to him, but the fact that we know she's chilling at the White Tower, Loghain's chilling at the White Tower, nothing has been said or done or touched on the subject at all, I feel like Mm -hmm. that is something to tuck away for the future.
3: My impression was that she had been punished. It's just that Moraine's story is so much more important (laughs) in that episode that it happens either after or off screen and is a subtle enough punishment that it doesn't compare to being exiled. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. She had to go prune the persimmon trees.
3: Also, there are a few indications that the Red Aja is extremely powerful at this point. And so the Amerlin may well have to be careful about how she punishes Leandrin, if at all, because she's trying to maintain her own hold on power and her own position. Mm -hmm. And if she comes down too hard on Leandrin, would that then drive the Red Aja to rebel against her? You know, there's a bunch of background politics at play that potentially explain why nothing more dramatic happens to Leandrin here.
2: Yeah, and I think probably with Moraine leading the mission to the Eye of the World happening like right now, the Emerlin can't take risks. Mm. And I think they make a point of showing that Leandrin has become quite powerful in the White Tower and the Reds as well. So yeah, I think it's probably just like a slap on the wrist, maybe a literal slap on the wrist.
1: (laughs) I'm honestly kind of wondering if, um, and this may have been like a mistake on Swan's part, but like the whole episode like they were focused on like swan and moiraine were like focused on like deflecting attention from their uh, more intimate than strictly legal relationship i'm wondering if swan focused so much on like very publicly punishing moiraine for that agenda that she kind of neglected um mm. to deal with Leandrin, and that maybe that would be a problem in season two
2: also she's having nightmares every night about the dark one like She's not sleeping well. Her judgment is probably impaired. Mm. She's very stressed out.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, Kirby has, uh, Kirby's email continues uh, saying, another question, do you think after finishing season one that they handled Loyal well? Um, And then also question, do you think in a future weave of the pattern an Ogier could be the dragon reborn? I want more Ogier content in season two. Thank you for your time, Kirby. Thank you, Kirby. This also ties into another email we got uh, about Loyal, which I'm going to read here, um, which is from Ethan, who says, Hi y'all, great podcast. I don't have much to say here except that when Sarah said they felt an instinctual dislike for Loyal upon first watch, I sympathised very strongly with that. I didn't figure out that I'm autistic until my mid-twenties, and previous to that I often felt an instinctual dislike of other neurodivergent people openly being themselves. Internalised ableism is a hell of a thing, but it is an enemy we can combat. Personally, I really enjoyed Loyal's portrayal in the show, and I'm excited to see where his character grows. Oh wait, he got stabbed.
2: (laughs) So he's going into the ground.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have really enjoyed y'all's coverage of the series, and I can't wait for more. If y'all ever do a special crossover episode with Emily and Sally from Everybody Hits Rand, my heart would explode into joyous confetti. May the light shelter and keep you all, Ethan. Uh, Ethan also says, P.S. My lifetime wheel of time L is that when I was super into the books as a teen, I used to pass time in my computer class by making data sets of various characters and their motifs in Microsoft Access. This served no purpose. I love data. (laughs) Thank you, Ethan.
0: I would love to see an ogier dragon oh my god because of like the cultural weight that the ogier carry because some fucking kid from the two rivers is a dragon okay but like this universally renowned and respected race they're a dragon now and it's just like plot like combined with the way ogier act i don't know if it's just a loyal thing i don't think it's necessarily just a loyal thing but like that sort of like uh I don't want to say charisma, but just like that very disarming nature coupled with the sheer respect that carries. I feel like you could have a dragon that could just like make a world nation or something crazy like that. Yeah. I would love an Ogier dragon.
3: How do Ogier interact with the source? How do they use magic? Because they must have in some I know way the answer to,
1: this question. to build <laughs> the waves. And I'm not going to say it. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I mean, the books, this is one of the great things about the show is that the show has vastly broadened the possibilities for who might be a dragon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the books, it's like, are you one of these two dudes?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, okay, because again, another little tangent. I've been, I've been playing Todd Howard's Skyrim, right?
0: Hell yeah. And
1: everyone in that game is really racist. And I'm obviously, I'm playing a kitty cat because why fucking wouldn't you? and like but the thing is the game you can pick your race at the start of the game but the game doesn't seem to like treat you any differently nope. depending on the mm-hmm. race you pick so whatever race you pick you are like the dragonborn of skyrim you're like the hero of the game no matter what your race is and then you have the rest of the world where everyone you talk to is like oh i fucking hate those khajiit they just wander around and sell me stuff and, they're t- and I'm just like, are you not looking at my character model? Like, I'm a fucking Khajiit. Is that not gonna have any <laughs> implication on the story? Like, can we answer these questions, Todd? No. And like, an Ogier being the Dragon Reborn, if it was written, handles stuff like that would be so interesting, It'd be so cool.
2: If you get a chance and you can tolerate the older graphics, you really should play Morrowind, yes. which is God. two, Many two games this. back. Um, but the in in Morrowind, instead of being the Dragonborn, you are the Nerevarine, who is um, a reincarnation, maybe, of a guy who was almost a god, maybe, um, but who was very explicitly a dark elf. Mm. And so you can again be any of the races in the game, um, but they actually do have some bits of the story that are like, you don't look the way we expected you to look. Yeah, mm. it's
0: God. Morrowind is so good. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, if they put it on this niche, I would be able to play it. Um, but yeah, like, because Wheel of Time doesn't, until Loyal shows up, it doesn't feel like a show that's going to have fantasy races in it.
0: I know. It caught me so off guard. I was like, what the, f-? okay. Like, it, Loyal showing up opens the floodgates for all manner of weird shit.
1: Yeah. And it's like.
2: Weird shit is coming.
0: Wonderful.
1: Yeah, it's like kind of like kind of human be reborn as an ogre Can an ogre be reborn as a human like can
0: love bloom on the battlefield
2: can a fucking
1: wolf be reborn as a guy like what's the what's the...
0: <laughs> it's good it's good questions to think about
1: yeah um Kirby's uh, other question was do you think after finishing season 1 that they handled loyal well well Paddington sure handled him in a split second yeah
0: yeah i just it again it, this sort of fell in with the whole way the show fumbled at the end of Loyal shows up and he's so interesting and they have to take him through the ways and everything. And then the last episode, he's like, well, you can always ask for help. I'm going to go get stabbed now. (laughs) It's just, just kind of falls flat. Mm,
3: mm. I did very much enjoy that part of him just pointing out to the frankly, very young man that like. There's always other options than violence, and if you don't know what to do, you can ask someone. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which
1: is a thing that a lot of young people and old people (laughs) need to be told. Again, like on its own, just really beautiful, like perfect, wonderful scene of loyal and Parin, like in this this, and then the rest of the episode, you're like, oh yeah,
2: (laughs) I mean, I know we all like loyal, and we all like that scene. But to me, that specific line felt a little like turn to the audience, mm. look directly into the camera, when you don't know how to help. Yeah, really. You can always ask. Yeah,
1: and I liked it.
2: <laughs> the more you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> loyal is a the more you know character.
2: Mm-hmm. He certainly knows more than most of the characters.
1: I think, in terms of, like. The stabbing thing is was a very badly handled thing, especially in a show that like in its fifth episode dealt with death really beautifully and seriously and wonderfully and like then they like just stab a character who is clearly obviously not going to die, so why bother stabbing mm-hmm. him?
0: Because we have to create tension. After all, we, we dissolved all the tension
2: around Nynaeve dying.
0: God, I know. Let me be the one to cry over Loyal's body and feed the source back into him. I care about him. I'll be I'll be the Pikachu to his ash ketchum turned to stone. <laughs>
3: Funny to think about, is Loyal representative of the Ogier? Are the are the Ogier basically like him? Or is he the weirdo who left the setting to move to Tarvalon? and the rest of the Ogier are actually very different?
0: That would be very, like, I. God, I want to see an Ogier setting so badly because <laughs> I really want to know. Because like, I feel like that would even drive home the neurodivergent portrayal of Loyal even more if... Not all the gear are like that, like Loyal is just a very unique case. And like, that's something that I fucking hope the show handles well, if they ever, you know, go the route of showing an Ogier setting.
2: Are they just all wearing like basketball shorts and hoodies?
1: <laughs> are they the ones wearing the tank tops? <laughs> Uh, actually I think it would be like not okay not to like hand it to the stabbing suddenly but I would be kind of cool if like they all like they had to take loyalty to a stabbing to like get him unstabbed and like yeah. and that was they had to go. Um
2: They super aren't going to though.
1: A bitch could dream. <laughs> um yeah like again the ogier loyal suffers from we only see one of them disease just like the yeah. ideal in the show like uh, some more crumbs please
0: hmm I hungry. Ye. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah. it does bring us on to uh, a question we got from fiance of the show kitty he asks if you had to pick someone else to be the dragon anyone in the show who would it be aside from loyal because obviously that's everyone's answer I was,
0: gonna uh, <laughs> I was about to say loyal
3: <laughs> I mean they have to be somebody who's 20 right now
0: yeah no they I- don't
2: <laughs> the 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 prophecies could be wrong. That's true. Uh, for me, I think the most fun one is it turns out it was Moraine all along.
0: I was going to say that. Like she's hunting for the dragon the entire time. And the real dragon was the friends we made along the way. I was going to say either Moraine or Perrin because I feel like his whole destiny of needing to seal evil could possibly be meshed really well into his whole struggle with nonviolence. Mm. Like, I mean, not to give even more fucking weights on that poor boy's shoulders. Like, he's dealing with quite a lot right now. He's very strong. But having to balance him also being the dragon, I think, could be a very compelling route.
2: Mm. I mean, it would be like you can hypothesize a scenario where he's like using the one power the way. Aang from Avatar the Last Airbender yeah. uses his airbending to just like defend himself and his friends and confuse and trick and bind mm-hmm. never actually killing anybody ooh, um, ooh. and then you know people like show him all these like killing weaves and he's just like I'm not gonna do that yeah oh I like that
1: mm. damn
2: maybe he even like voluntarily takes an oath on the oath rod to like double down and make 100% ooh. sure he can't kill people.
3: See, I bet that the Tuatha'an would not approve of that particular method because mm. then you're not making a choice. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You've
3: you've seeded the ability, which is not the same as choosing non-violence. Right. And
2: that would be a great dramatic conflict <laughs> to re- work into
0: the show. Ooh, ooh. This, this, this put a pin in that, because that, flows into my season 2 predictions.
1: We're making good super. Plus,
0: I mean, he's both a dragon and a wolf. I mean, those are like the most two badass animals. <laughs> <laughs> this would be the most popular
2: show with furries ever.
1: <laughs> oh, and, and yeah.
2: Scalies, I guess.
1: See, I was just going to say Gwyn cuz I think she's cool, but like the I have no reason for that. I just think she's neat. She's
0: just nice. She's just neat. I just think she's
1: neat. I just think she's neat. I, she's neat. I
3: actually don't have any particular character in mind, but I love to subvert genre tropes. And so I wish just like an old person. Oh my God. <laughs> you yeah. were the savior yeah. of the world. Tom Marilyn. <laughs> no, older. Somebody really old. <laughs>
0: Who's the oldest person in <laughs>
3: the show? Who then has to be like, carted hither and yon. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, why good. should
1: why should the hero always be between the ages of 16 and 30? Yeah, yeah
0: exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, Let's
1: have that old guy that joined on the Tyrant Ferry have to be the dragon reborn. <laughs> oh no!
2: <laughs> Look, the hero has to be from a prime marketing demo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's either gonna be like 18 to 32, or maybe it could be a kid. Really get those like action figure dollars. Ooh. Yeah, true.
1: Yeah,
3: one of Matt's <laughs> sisters. Hell yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah. Both of Matt's sisters. Whoa, double dragon. <laughs> it's
1: like the game. Um, yeah. So the our second email we got uh from Scott, and this is the last email I have before the spoiler zone. I have one more email that's inside the spoiler zone here. Um, Scott says hey there first of all i have really enjoyed the podcast it's been a great bit of fun to listen along and hear different perspectives on the show especially as we have moved into the last episode the parts of the wheel of time fan community that i inhabit are a bit echo chambery and i think this cast is really great at approaching the show very positively cast as in podcast thank you for making it you're very welcome scott Thanks, Scott. as you head into the last episode on the wrap up pod a couple of thoughts kept tickling at my mind the big one for me is sorry Max what changes do you think were an improvement over the original books we will get into that in the spoiler zone were there sequences that really worked well for you in the show maybe even just talk about favourite moments in general not specifically as they relate to the books um yeah before I finish the email are there any sequences scenes that stand out to you as just being your favourite one in the show
0: i love the ways like that is just such a cool bit of world building it's like yeah we have fantasy like warp zones they're fucked up though be careful like there's just i feel a lot like simultaneously nothing more needs to be said about the ways but i would love to know like the history of it and what the fuck happened and what uh the black wind is and it's just like it's, it's another, like, big fantasy thing I didn't really expect to sh- show up. Like, Loyal shows up, and that's well and good. But then there's also, like, weird, like, pseudo-dimensional travel that's just like, fuck, yeah, this rules. Mm. I like it.
1: I think my favorite specific scene is just the cool fight scene in the snow with the aiel Like, that was, it was just, it was just cool. Mm-hmm. I was. Girl boss moment. Yeah, I said, wow, cool spears. Um, but I think in general, my favorite sort of, Sequence is. I really liked the time between when they were split up at Shadar Logoth, and then before they arrived at Tarvalon. I thought that those like two or three episodes were just very strong for, you know, isolating these two characters and seeing how they interact and like building and ma- making us get to know people. And I I really enjoyed this.
2: I think my two favorite scenes are probably when Matt and Rand arrive in Tarvalon for the first time. Mm-hmm. And they just they arrive in the middle of like a busy street, and we see them totally out of their depth in this amazing big persimmon of a city. <laughs> um, I thought that was great. I'm not saying the Aiel fighting cold open because that was really good, but it felt like it came from a different show. <laughs> like it felt like it wandered in from down the studio. Um, the 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 other one though is when the wolves eat the white cloaks.
0: Yeah, that was good. Love oh, yeah. love
2: to see an aspect of nature just like ferociously tearing into these like Nazi ass punks. Mm, mm,
3: mm. Really loved the sequence of the the kids from Two Rivers singing mm, while they're really good on one. horseback and before they all get split up. Yeah, it's so small, but I loved it. I loved it so much. Uh, briefly entertained the idea of trying to write more lyrics <laughs> for that song. Uh, never quite got around to it, but maybe I will. I'm also surprised nobody has talked about any of the scenes from the funeral episode. I don't know. That that episode felt like it had a, a, a whole sequence of scenes that I just really liked and thought were nicely done.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one might be the strongest whole episode
1: yeah I would agree there definitely
2: personally I didn't think that any of the individual scenes were that strong mm. but it all works together so yeah, well it's cohesive
1: yeah yeah thinking back another scene that really stands out to me is in episode two whenever the like the kids start kind of like arguing with each other and like more and then Maureen just like ditches them I don't know why but like that is just, from, from the early episodes, definitely, like, that's the one that stands out to me. Um, and it I may be because it was the scene in which kind of Rand went off on one, and I was like, oh, he's actually yeah. a character in the show. <laughs> it's one of the first indications
3: we have of these kids in this friend group as their own people because mm. it all feels more cohesive before that and this is the first time we see them really like arguing and disagreeing mm-hmm. with each other
1: mm. um mm. yeah scott's Mill continues with did the x-ray content change how you felt about any of the stuff in the series proper or was it all just fun extra backstory slash fluff i didn't look at any of that mm, me neither. Ever. <laughs>
0: yeah the way i i watch the episodes like you know, the screen on the left half of my computer and my notes on the right half so I could take while I watch. And, like, I feel like that's maybe a representative uh, viewpoint for someone who's completely new to it to not get any of this supplemental information to just watch. And it's, like, your show shouldn't necessarily need this supplemental information. Yeah, Like, you can look it up yourself, but, like, the show stands fine without needing yeah. all these little extra tidbits.
1: Like I liked to see it. I I I thought those those six little animated episodes were like almost kind of better than the show in some ways. <laughs> like they were all just so well done and self-contained and well animated and really well voiced. Um and they're definitely really worth watching. Um but I mean they didn't change how I felt about because it was all like lore stuff that I already knew Mm -hmm. Um, I find them very like sort of kind of academically interesting in that I am interested in the way that a world is conveyed to an audience Um, but I am definitely of the mind that they should be optional Um,
2: yeah And I have a I have a deep sense of foreboding about them, Mm. both because of what they represent for future projects, multimedia projects trying to convey world building Mm. um, and, and offloading a lot of it into these supplementary materials. But also because, you know, we're all in one sense or another Gundam podcasters. And so we've engaged with a lot of old Gundam material. And there is a ton of supplemental stuff, including like full on animated shorts that you you just can't get. It's gone. They made it, they released it, it served its purpose, and then it disappeared. It went into the memory hole. Or if you can find it, it's like bootlegged VHSs mm-hmm. or, you know, stuff like that. So, like, how long, you know, presumably at some point Amazon's Jeff Bezos's The Wheel of Time is going to be released on Blu-ray and you could hypothetically preserve it and watch it again even after it's not available for streaming anymore, but like, are all of those shorts going to be included in that? Are they going to be preserved and made available in any kind of way? Mm. Or are they just gonna disappear as soon as it is no longer profitable to keep hosting them?
1: Yeah. I mean, like, even for these, like, they were really hard to find. Like, they're not in an obvious place. Yeah and then uh, scott's Mm -hmm. final uh question before we get into predictions is do you think this season has like a viewpoint or a thesis that it's trying to explain or is it so trapped in season one is for setup syndrome that it never gets a chance to actually have an opinion on some of some of the things it touches on such as abuse of power trauma trauma gender relations etc 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 yes elaborate on that
2: <laughs> it is too it is too trapped in okay setup mode yeah um and and this is um this sort of ties into a problem that i have with the way the characters are portrayed is that there are so many characters and they go to great such great lengths to make it an ensemble but there isn't enough time to give everyone stuff to do and so yeah. we end up with like eight partially drawn characters instead of one fully realized one uh, and yeah, we we end up with a vast array of of potential themes and interesting concepts and and thesis statements. And the closest it gets to actually committing to any of those is when Rand says, "But what about what she wants at the end?" Yeah, yeah. which is fine and powerful. But is that the thesis of the whole season? I don't think so. Yeah,
1: because yeah, it's like you know, with all the mat stuff about like money and poverty and struggles all the parent stuff with like oh violence it's like season 1 just about got to the sort of the abstract stage the abstract stage of the thesis where it was like with Matt we're going to talk about like this character's relationship with like money and freedom and pot. with Perrin this is the thing we're going to talk about it but never actually really gets to talking about it
3: yeah i I think it would be premature and would feel too like didactic, too academic, actually, for the show to take a position on all of these issues at this point. Like it's already starting to. It's starting to develop. But this is more about s- presenting what are the questions. You know, what is the nature of good and evil? Why yeah. is free will important? You know What is the nature of suffering? Is suffering something that could be eliminated from the world or not? You know, is violence justified and when? Mm. Which are all interesting questions that I'm excited to see them tackle. But there's no way they could have answered any of them right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. in this one season. That not would have They only. could have jumped to an answer if they really wanted to point at the screen and say, this is how we feel about this
1: topic. But... They that would feel bad yeah season yeah. one is for setup syndrome may not necessarily be a bad thing here yeah, um, yeah. And
3: we end with Pat and Fane talking about how the world cannot exist with just light it needs light and dark Yeah, which is a position it's a take he's a bad guy so we're skeptical
0: <laughs> right <but laughs> and we heard that in the last 10 minutes of the episode
1: so. yeah yeah
3: But that's very different from the position of the other dark friend who basically wants existence to end because existence is full of suffering, Mm -hmm. Mm. which is very different from what the dark one tells Rand to try to entice him, which is you can make a perfect world. You can make the world perfect just through your will. Mm. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I think it the show hints at a position on a lot of these things but also leaves room for it to be complicated and messy yeah
1: yeah you know we we know we already have at least one and a half more seasons that have been made and will presumably be released we'll, we, we'll get somewhere i don't know where we'll get but we'll get <laughs> something um Okay, uh, and then uh, the last the, uh, the last of the email is, I hope to hear some juicy predictions for, from Max for season two. Thanks, Scott. Or Tiran. So, uh, it's Opa predictions style, let's go. Um, Zane's also <laughs> asked, like, what do you look forward to slash want to see in the future? Uh, especially for the non-reader, Max, what plots would you like to see? Okay. Okay. Where are we going?
0: This is, this is my official season two Jeff Bezos' Wheel of Time Predictions. I more like kind of took each character and it's like, this is what's going to happen to them. Moraine, I want to see Moraine and Lan travel to figure out how the fuck to undo like this seal on her magic. I want to see her look into i don't know if there's necessarily like a dark magic equivalent of of the one power but like i want to see her like get into some weird taboo shit trying to like learn to channel again essentially like i don't think she's going to go back to tarvalon i think she's going to have to do do something fucky i mean she can't go back to tarvalon she's exiled but anyway i want you know something dark there i want to see perrin go puppy mode more and this is this is what I was uh, what I wanted to put a pin in. I want him to go back to the Tuatha On and consciously or unconsciously use those dog powers to defend them. But when they realize he's the one who kind of caused that to happen, they they exile him because that's not the way of the leaf. He didn't fight, but like he made the doggies fight, and that's violence. Um, so they had to kick him out. I want to see Egwene and Nynaeve go to the White Tower. Uh, you know, team up and, like, protect each other from the cattiness and the clicks and everything. And I feel like this is also where Leandrin and Loghain are going to come back into the picture. Because we know, again, Leandrin's amassing power. We know Loghain is still there. So I I want, since they were there at that moment, you know, like, Leandrin and her Reds were after them, essentially trying to, like, keep them corralled while they're trying to keep their head above water, learning how to channel. Um, Matt's fucked up. Uh, I want to see him reunited with Tom somehow and like maybe Tom can give him, you know, advice and, and peace to kind of, you know, Hey, maybe you can't get rid of this darkness in you, but we can try and figure out how to deal with it. Cause I've been around the block a couple times. I don't yeah, know. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for Rand, like, Clearly, he doesn't necessarily want to channel. He has that madness that's taking root in him. Um, I want, you know, he's going to have this journey of self reflection. And maybe somehow he'll kind of learn how to communicate with his past selves or remember his past without necessarily needing to channel. Try and basically find out how to use his power and status as the dragon to get as much out of it as he can without going mad. Like if he can find some alternative way to do it or something like that. That's what I got. Juicy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I want to make it real, real juicy.
1: Juicy. I I love this. I love all this. And then uh, what? Like, what do I will look forward to in the future? <sighs> Honestly, I know we talk shit about the Shanshan, but I am looking forward to seeing what they're like, even if I can only be mad about it. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to seeing <laughs> like what happens. Um. Yeah, I don't think there's much more I can st- say without being in the spoiler zone about predictions.
3: <laughs> yeah, every everything I'm looking forward to is a spoiler.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. Okay, so um, thank you, uh, regular, our favourite listeners. We have had a wonderful time with you on this journey to the eye of the world in season one. Uh, we will pick up with you next season, whenever that may be. We will probably whenever the next season comes out start doing it either that week or the week after so i guess look out for that hopefully amazon doesn't
2: jeff bezos if you're listening send us advanced copies Jeff, send us a screener yeah let us
1: get it on the ground
2: floor and a truck full of money
1: i'll ask my uncle who works at amazon Um, so yeah thank you very much for listening in the meantime you can send us all your favourite memes to uh, what's Twitter I've forgotten again fuck
0: NVM
2: NVM the The Trollocs
1: send all your favourite memes of Wheel of Time that you make (laughs) to NVM the Trollocs on Twitter and we will retweet them and we will love them and we will thank you very much
2: yeah Sarah has no standards she'll retweet whatever you send (laughs) us (laughs) literally
1: okay bye Hello, spoilers, people. So in the spoiler zone, our seventh and final email, even though we got eight emails, but I already read the eighth one. Our seventh and final email from Anonymous says, Hi, NMTTG. Any thoughts on why they decided to combine Shale Ghoul with the Eye of the World and the story implication of that choice? I'm super bummed we won't be getting any cold opens at the Pit of Doom.
2: Well... I mean, the simple answer is simplicity, like one location is Mm. easier to explain than two locations. I think it's also possible that they didn't, you know? They do go out of the way to point out that they don't know much about the Eye of the World. The records have been purged, they've made assumptions about it.
1: I think it is interesting that, not so much that the Eye of the World is the Dark Ones prison, but that Shail'gul isn't the dark ones prison or that the characters don't know about shale because i get the feeling that in the books like shale is reasonably well known it's like the sort of Mount doom Mm -hmm. and that like it's you know at least moiraine and like loyal and people would know about where the actual dark ones prison is so like that's more interesting to me than the potential of them combining these two places um
2: yeah well and the um like this maybe feeds into the idea of the blight feeling too small mm. and too weak because in the books, Shale Ghoul is like beyond the blight. Yeah. In the even worse place. Yeah. Um Though I kind of when I saw the way they depicted the Eye of the World with the um the not not a yin yang at the bottom of it, I was like, ooh, is that a door? Are those gonna like open up <laughs> and then beneath that is the pit of yeah. doom?
1: I definitely wouldn't say never to cold opens at the pit of doom. Like I'm sure that they could f- finagle it or write it in somehow. Um,
2: I mean, that close to the Dark One, reality gets all weebly wobbly, so it could look like anything.
1: It, but it, yeah, it does just seem like simplicity. Um, because I didn't want to confuse people or something. I don't know. Um, there's a lot of like flattening that's kind of happening. And yeah, there's a there's another question from Zin, which is how do you feel the adaptation process will change the long form arc of the story? What books are gonna get cut? So it's basically like how do we think that the the show will differ from the books going forward? Um so we've talked about that quite a lot. Um
2: I'm I have been wondering and worrying about whether they're going to cut the Atha on altogether.
3: Remind me what that is.
2: They're the, the seagoing people.
3: Okay. I loved the seagoing people, but I don't know how essential they are for the whole arc of the thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's kind of the issue. Like, I love them. They're one of my favorite parts. This is why I'm worried that they're gonna get cut. Cause like, the whole thing with like, oh, actually there are all these secret communities of channelers out there that the White Tower doesn't know about, seems to be kind of getting soft pedaled already. Yeah. Um, and the whole like dalliance with the bowl of the winds and all of that stuff like you could probably cut that yeah
1: like the whole like weather arc also like in terms of like production is a bit of a bummer to like have to make one in like two entire seasons be really really in the hot weather and then another two entire seasons be really really in the snowy weather like that's just like a logistical nightmare for filmmaking yeah Yeah. Um,
2: And that, like, oh, the world is just super messed up now is a thing that comes back in again, like, at the very end, and so maybe it would feel repetitive.
1: Yeah. Also, like, although I will say I am looking forward to, like, the bubbles of evil type shit that happens in the book, where just, like, Mm -hmm. suddenly there'll just be, like, a really fucked up thing that happens. Um, like, honestly, if, if the show is, like, just, like, Monster of the Week-style episodes of people dealing with the weird Dark One shenanigans that start happening as, like, things get worse in the world, like, that would be really good.
0: Yeah, that's reminiscent of what Final Fantasy XV does.
1: Hey, skip forward 30 seconds if you don't want the entire premise of Final Fantasy fifteen spoiled for you by Max
0: as you play, as the story progresses. The world doesn't necessarily get more fucked up, but like you realize that the nights are getting longer and the days are getting shorter and this this tangible effect in the world because when night's out, the fucking demons rise out from like the earth and you have to have like special lights on your cool badass car to be able to drive them away. So it's like, by the time the end of the game, there literally isn't daytime anymore. It's entirely at night and you're just always fighting demons because they just keep on coming. And like, that's a, just a very cool way of showing. Yeah, shit's getting bad over time maybe we should deal with this problem mm. who knows
2: god max spoilers i was almost gonna play that game <laughs>
0: <Your own laughs> beloved garbage game final fantasy 15
1: <laughs> no at least two people who love it <laughs> i'm looking at one of them
0: i love it it's a good game maybe um
1: i mean obviously the like parent file plotline plot line is gonna get cut
2: <laughs> i'm pounding the table <laughs>
1: no the, not not, the, you, not like the whole parent peri- but like you know the plot line that i'm talking about the famously titled Plotline of Doom, as it has been known in fandom circles since, you know, 2003.
2: I don't participate in fandom circles. I don't know okay, what you're talking about. Okay,
1: but think about, just off of the top of your head, what's the worst plotline in Perrin's story arc in Wheel of Time?
2: The one where Fahil keeps trying to goad him into being an asshole to her, because that's how she thinks men express affection.
1: Oh yeah, God, that is really bad. Well, I hope they hopefully they cut <laughs> that too, um, and show an actual healthy relationship. Um... Do, have, do, like, the, the, the part where she was like kidnapped for like three books and that was all he did oh yeah that part yeah
2: if they cut the the fae i'm gonna be really angry what fae the elfin and eelfin
1: oh yeah oh yeah okay yeah i'm gonna be really bad i need my <laughs> my fucked up little guys
2: <laughs> some of them seem to be pretty big though
1: my fucked up large guys <laughs> There's some
3: parts that I think they're going to be tempted to at least shorten, and I think they should resist the impulse. Mm. Like, I'm thinking about some of the parts that I enjoyed that I feel like lose their impact if they're shortened, to, if they're too truncated. Like, uh, the girls training with the Aiel, for instance. Like, that's another one of those, like, oh, there are ways to channel and ways that this is handled that are totally different from how it's done at the White Tower and are still valid. Mm. Uh, and also just like, this is what ideal culture is like. Uh, but if they make it too short, then it's just like, all right, our super-powered girls roll up and this is all super easy for them and they're done, as opposed to in the book, it's a real struggle. Yeah. And they're they're there for a while and have a really tough time
1: <laughs> trying to... Yeah, they do like, Boot camp shit. Yeah. This is
2: a this is a struggle because it's been so long since most of us have read these books that we remember the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. And we we're forgetting the stuff that could be cut.
1: <laughs> Probably. Because
2: we have already cut it. If I don't
1: remember it, if it's not in my brain, I don't want to see it in the show. Hi, I'm joining Book Club Twitter. Um <laughs> uh, Zin also asks, uh hey, what, what are there any girl boss moments that you're looking forward to in the next season? Next season specifically? Oh, uh, mm. yeah, no, I, mean, I can't. Well, I can't. We don't.
2: We don't really even know what they're gonna do next season because I don't think it's just gonna be book two.
1: Yeah, I think
2: it's gonna be some combination of the next three or four books.
1: Honestly, like when I think about the Wheel of Time books, not that many girl boss moments like stick out. Like, yes, they're all girl bosses, but I can't think of any girl boss moments. I can think of plenty of I like. Mean, Guy boss moments, such as as in mentions whenever Matt hits some people with sticks.
2: Love when Matt hits people with sticks. It's
1: oh, really it's so really. good. Yes, <laughs>
3: uh, I I mean the the very end, and I'm not going to name who, but I felt like the the ending had some pretty intense girl bossity. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think the the three women binding Rand is kind of girl boss actually.
2: There, there are so many good women bullying Rand moments to look forward to. Like all the stuff with the Aiel shield maidens bullying yeah. Rand is going to be great.
1: Yeah, which again, like that could be something they would change because, like that's a, that's a bit of another one of Robert Jordan's weird fucked up gender dynamics. <laughs> but I do like to see it in that yeah. case. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is funny.
0: It's funny when Rand gets bullied.
1: It is funny when yeah.
0: Yep.
2: It it might be less funny in the show because Rand is more yeah. normal. <laughs> He's a little birthday boy.
3: He's also the fucking dragon re, dragon reborn.
2: He can get a little weird. He can get a little fucked up in the next couple I'm sure of he will. seasons.
1: Yeah, I gotta say, like the thing I'm looking forward to most in like, it's just even just like next season is like Rand starting to experience quote unquote madness. And I'm looking forward to seeing how yeah. the show deals with that. How, especially having seen, like, how uh, Logan experienced, like, his madnesses, his hallucinations, how that other guy from the first scene hallucinated a whole other guy. I'm like, ooh, like, is Rand going to start seeing, like, the actor who plays lose Theron? Like, are they going to start interacting?
2: I hope so. Ooh, that'd be cool.
1: That would be really cool.
2: Well, and I want to see that guy just, like, full-on lose it the way lose, like. Because Rand's visions of Luz Theron are always, like, very lucid, but also he is totally yeah. gone.
1: Yeah. Especially because, like, we saw Luz Theron in that flashback when he was just, like, a nice dad. Exactly. Like, I want to say that actor go sicko mode. Um, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Scott slash Tyrion had a what change, Okay, so yeah, what changes were an improvement over the original books we already talked about how making it horny was a good thing uh, we talked about how removing the load-bearing aspect of gender was a good thing um,
2: we liked that they made it more queer
1: Um, other things
2: I, I liked that they made it I liked that they made it Moraine's story yeah it's Moraine's world and they're all just living in it
1: <laughs> Moraine's mm-hmm. world
2: Oh my God. I just, sorry. <laughs> imagine, imagine Suan being like, Moraine, find me five Tavirin with attitude.
1: <laughs> she did that. She did that.
0: She did, she did that. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think personally, as a, a little Matt stan, I very much enjoyed how his character was elaborated on and expanded on in terms of his family situation. Um, you mean how
2: he's just evil now? How he's just super fucked up yeah, and evil? Yeah, I like that. How he's a bad boy? Oh, yeah, I like it. He's gone sicko mode. A little a little scrungless. It,
1: uh... Oh, actually, yeah. What was what were you going to come back to in terms of binarity and non-binarity? Oh, right.
2: In the books, like, trying to access a non-binary source of magic is what destroyed the world. And it turns out that non-binary magic is the literal devil himself.
1: Fuck. No you mention. That is right.
2: They got they got so advanced that they started doing non-binary stuff and it destroyed the fucking world, because non-binary magic is literal evil. That's the book. That yeah. That's the backstory.
3: I had forgotten that part entirely. Wow. Interesting perspective Robert Jordan had about the changing world, huh? What did he mean by this?
1: See, never have I ever connected the um whether they call it, the true power instead of the one power? Mm-hmm. As, like, because that is a source of magic that can be accessed by both men and women. Somehow, in all of Robert Jordan's, like, refusal to exist and acknowledge anything in between, never have I interpreted that as a non-binary source of magic. Damn. But you're fucking right.
2: And it's the source of all evil.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah, no it is. It is just like pure dark one juice, huh.
3: So again, I think they can fix this. I could fix it. I uh,
2: I yes, they definitely can. <laughs> well,
3: because sort of fundamental, I'm not sure I realized any of this as much when I was actually reading the books, but there's a lot of like catholic-ish theological stuff happening here about like the nature of suffering and free will in the world and like what it means for god if there is a god to give people agency and the ability to choose to be Mm -hmm. good or bad so to the extent that the book devil is about evil Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that's a thing that we would want to change, this, like, equation of non-binariness and evil or agendered and evil. But if you start, like, teasing it apart a little and having it be more about, like, free will and it just happens that the people who accessed it all this time ago made the wrong choices Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. having it be about something slightly different, then...
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. 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 I mean there's no reason the the show has to say that actually <laughs> the true power is the dark one power. Right. Like it can just be like, oh, the dark one uses the true power. Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so did the creator or yeah. whatever. Um, right.
3: The the light and the dark.
2: Yeah. Maybe. Wheel of Times cosmology is definitely like Buddhism interpreted through a Catholic lens.
0: <laughs> yeah. Tremendous where um, like
2: the world the world is infinitely like reborn and recreated but the point is not to escape the suffering the point is to endure the suffering because that makes you good.
3: Uh, well, and because and because suffering is inevitable
1: in a world where people have agency. I think I've been recording a podcast for too long to start considering stuff of this caliber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been talking a lot.
0: Try, try being raised Catholic.
2: 2 hours and 20 minutes so far.
3: <laughs> um I think we just had one last question, don't we? Yeah. Can we talk about the Forsaken?
2: Yeah. I've been waiting to talk about the <laughs> Forsaken for two hours and 20 minutes.
1: I, I saved this one from last because it's very <laughs> Here's fun. what you all came here for. Um, so, uh, Zian's final question was, which Forsaken do you think made the cut? And now they have provided us a descriptive list of all 12 slash 13 of the Forsaken from memory. In case we forgot them, which almost certainly we did because I'm looking at some of these and I'm like, oh, yeah. Um, so shall I go through these and either we'll get a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Do we think they were banned? Yes, Tom. Be-
2: Before we get into this, I went back and I watched the scene in episode five where Stepan has the Ooh, icons, yes. little icons. And I think he's got eight of them.
1: Okay. 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 So there's, there's at mm. least eight.
0: We have to do some downsizing on the team.
1: (laughs) Some of them got fired. Okay. Uh, So, and these are in... No, they're not in alphabetical order. Agenor is first, just out of pure coincidence. Uh, So, do we think Agenor, a.k.a. Dr. Frankenstein, made the cut?
2: I think he's a prime candidate for combination.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Amalgamate his two a role. Okay, so... (laughs) Yes, but. Yes, but. Okay, next one, Balthamel, sexual pervert, disgusting man. I think he's gone.
2: In a different version of this show, he would definitely, in the in the Game of Thrones version of the show, he'd
0: definitely be gone. Oh, yeah, they love their sexual perverts.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at this list overall, and there's a lot of rapists, and I feel like you could probably consolidate, if that's their main characteristic that's memorable, you could probably consolidate a lot of that into one person.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ishamael.
2: He's already been in the show.
3: He's been mentioned, yeah. Probably
1: made the cut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Impossible to say one way or another.
1: Um uh Raven again, a fucking sexual pervert man, but also a, a politician.
2: I think he's he's too important to the story. I think he's there, but I suspect he will be combined with one of the other political people who is yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no reason there's no reason you need both Raven and Belal.
1: Yeah. Uh, Samael. I think yes. What did he do?
2: Was he the king of Ilian? Yeah, he was the guy or... that took
1: over Ilian. He was also famously, like, back in Lucerin days, like, he thought he was his biggest rival. Like, he thought he was mm. the Sasuke to Lucerin's Naruto, but actually, Lucerin kind of didn't really care about him. In the way right, that Naruto right. cares deeply about Sasuke in a sexual manner.
2: Knock up. That was very fun. That was a fun aspect of his character.
1: Yeah. Um, he should stay. Also, in the idols scene, one of them was like really small, which Samael was famously a short king. Mm. Um, Grandol.
2: Definitely still there.
1: Y'all saw that big titty idol. There's definitely a Grayondahl. <laughs> um, Zane, Zane describes her as sexy, but evil and horny. Um, next one, Messana, who does describes as, exists, perhaps a spy.
2: She's, she's in the White Tower, isn't she?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think,
2: I think she stays. I think she's too important to the, um, to the, the tower storyline, though she might get combined with, like, Semirage.
1: Yeah, that could happen. Um... Next one coincidentally is Semiraj. She is a healer, but also does torture. Um, and Zane remarks that it's rather odd that she never meets naive in the books. Which yeah, that is just kind of their kind of mirror. Yeah. yeah,
2: really, really felt like that they were being set up for a confrontation.
1: Yeah, I'd say keep. Like, I think again, and she kind of does some of the more dramatic things towards the end of the books. Um, and I kind of think just her as a archetype of villain okay. the torture sadistic one is probably something they would keep Um, Mm -hmm. Mogadine the spider is the next one I think they keep her Um, because she has that very cool fight with Nynaeve in like book 4 or something and I feel like that's actually that's a girl boss moment I'm looking forward to see Um, (laughs) nice next one is Belal he is quote a political person that exists
2: He's like, isn't he like the high lord of something or other who gets...
1: I know Rond kills him in like tier, but I don't know like if he has any relationship to Rond before then.
2: I assume he gets combined with somebody else or drops out of the story yeah, entirely.
1: I don't, I don't think he's necessary. Uh, next one is Lanfear. He,
2: Definitely staying.
1: Manic Pixie dream girl, but evil and sexy. Um Yeah. So, manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> I, I think she's a load-bearing Forsaken. Um, Demandred, who is, quote, a political person that exists. A lot of the Forsaken sure just simply exist.
2: Well, no, I mean, Demandred is... I, I think Demandred is way more interesting than um, that brief description gives him credit for. Yeah. But Demandred's role in the books is to, like, constantly be somewhere doing something and you don't know what... And so, no matter what else is happening, you always have that Demandred in the back of your head, like "Ooh, this could be scary." And then it turns out that yeah, it's scary.
1: Yeah, it is really weird in the books, and I, I honestly, kind of feels like a thing that could cut. I'm, I'm not. I feel like Demandred would. Mm, I feel like Demandred would be the person that, like, Balthamel and Belial get amalgamated into.
2: Yes, actually, I. I have the same thing in my notes, um, because he's only really a factor towards the very end and those guys both drop out Mm -hmm. earlier. So yeah, say he gets, um, they, they appear in the story, then they disappear and they appear again as demand read later on.
1: Yeah. Um.
2: I think the I think the name Demandred probably stays because it's more fun to yeah. say.
1: It's also like memorable because like it's mentioned all the time in the books, even if we never actually see him. Everyone's always talking about Demandred, what he's doing. No one ever knows what he's doing. Yeah. And our final forsaken is Asmodian, who is described by Zane as Lin Manuel Miranda.
2: And I think he stays. Um, <laughs> I think he's important. Yeah. I have, I, I don't know if this is going to happen, but just to tweak the noses of the worst people, I really want bisexual Rand to have a relationship with Asmodian.
1: Yes.
2: And and maybe also, maybe also with Moradin.
1: Ooh, spicy. Yeah, I can't think of anyone that could replace Asmodian in him being the fun, like, the villain that gets co-opted into teaching the good guy how to do magic I can't really think of anyone who would I mean, replace him
2: Lanfear mm. could do it
1: so that gives us we said Ishmael is there, Samael is there, Grendel is there, Misana is there, Semirange is there Mogadin is there, Lanfear is there, Dumandred is there Azmidine is there, that's nine and we also said that Ravid might be there so we're gonna have to cut someone else we also said that Aginor might be there. We're going to have to cut two other people. <laughs> or just combine a couple
3: into other folks. Yeah, yeah. hilarious confession. I don't remember any what any of these characters do. <laughs> None of them.
2: Isn't Balthamal the one who dies and then has their soul put into a woman's body? Yeah, like,
1: that's definitely not happening in this series. Yeah. Um,
2: and I think... God, the most significant thing about Aginor is that he invented Trollocs, yeah. right? Like, that's just backstory. He d- he doesn't need to be in it. Somebody else yeah. did that, or he did it and now he's dead.
1: I also think that Misana could just be someone else. Like, mm-hmm. although they might they might have just okay. Well, fuck Belal, Belal go away, Belal. No one cares. R- Ravin, Ravin can just be someone else. So we're left with Shamail, Samael, Grandal, Misana, Semaraj, Mogadin, Lanphier, Demandred, Asmadine. Six. That's still nine. Fuck.
2: Well, eh. I mean, maybe Stepan lost one of the figurines. Yeah,
1: probably. It's like,
3: Or, yeah, I mean, we know a lot of knowledge has been lost. Maybe there's somebody that's just been forgotten. Yeah. The secret...
2: Bob. Bob with her teeth forsaken. Maybe
1: that's who <laughs> Steve was this whole time. Steve! <laughs> Steve! Okay, um, that is all our our emails and listener segment questions. We've been talking for a lot of time, um, about this. Anything we need to get off our chests before we close season one of Never Mind the Trollocs?
2: I have to confess that at several points I minded the Trollocs. I'm sorry. Ah, oh, beans. This whole project's. I failure. can't believe
1: you've done this. <laughs> I gotta say I've had a, I've had a great time doing this show. It's been sort of it's been a this very was really fun, show. fun, yeah. Um,
2: it's been fun podcasting with oh, you. all. Yeah.
1: Excited for the next season. Yeah,
2: they better keep making. Yeah, us. <laughs> yeah, God.
1: Yeah. Well, um, to to quote uh, Titanic, gentlemen, it's been an honor. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now we take off our
3: our. Wheel of Time podcasting disguises and go back to our normal
1: lives as Gundam podcasters. Yeah, <laughs> we all we all walk off mic and climb into a different robot.
2: Oh no, I think I'm going to go and innocently try to pick up shells on the beach.
1: Oh, uh, no. <laughs> Tom, watch out! There's xenophobia out there. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> oh, okay, just never mind the xenophobia. And never mind the Trollocs. I would say here's the podcast, but...
2: There was the podcast. That was the podcast.
1: There was the podcast!
0: The wheel of time turns and podcasts come and pass.
3: Recording Audacity files that become MP3s. MP3s that give rise to hot takes. But
1: even the takes are long forgotten by the time a new episode comes out.
0: For one podcast, called Nevermind the Trollocs by some.
1: A podcast about shows yet to come.
3: A podcast about books long past. A five-star review was written.
0: This five-star review was not the ending. There are no
2: beginnings or endings when it comes to rating podcasts about the Wheel of Time. But it was an ending. Just like this is an ending. But not the ending. Nevermind the Trollocs will
0: return in Avengers Endgame. Damn it, Max!